going on, everyone? Welcome to another Driven To podcast. This is actually episode three in the What Drives You series. Um, I feel like I start off these podcasts every time the exact same way in terms of me saying we have a very special guest, <laughs> but we really do have a very special <laughs> guest today. And I'm very excited to let you introduce yourself. But before we do that, I'm going to introduce you and I have a super funny story to tell you guys um, that has to do with our guest. So our guest, Chris Delgado. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Um, so to get right into it, Chris Delgado and his wife, Andy Delgado, are clients of mine. So I originally started training his wife, Andy, uh, I want to say about two months now, yeah? Yeah, like late November, early December. Yeah, yeah. so around that time. Um, incredible woman. And so, you know, she came right out the, the gate, determined to see results. And uh, as you'd have it, you know, you talk in, in uh, the training sessions, and she told me about you. And then I said I was really into cars. And she said, oh, my husband likes cars too. What do you drive? Blah, 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 right? Yeah. Um, and she told me he drove a Porsche. And I thought, wow, okay, cool. I, I want to meet this guy. He's into crypto. He's into cars. Sounds like my type of guy, right? Um, so fast forward, I think about a month later, Chris decided he wanted to train as well. He had a trip coming up. Um, he was going to Dubai. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, he was going to Dubai. And so he was like, hey, man, let's get started. I want to train as well. So... Knowing that Chris had a Porsche, you know, the morning arrives that he was supposed to come train with me and I'm waiting in the parking lot at the gym for him and uh, I'm excited to see this Porsche and all of a sudden, no, no Porsche. He's some, some cars on time though, big blacked out SUV pulls up and uh, I'm like, hmm, I don't think this is him. And uh, lo and behold, a driver comes out, <laughs> opens the back door. And out pops Chris. <laughs> Guys, I have been personal training for just over 10 years now. And I'm not saying this to brag, but I've trained plenty of successful people, right? From lawyers to doctors to uh, anything. Yeah. Never, Chris. <laughs> never has someone pulled up with a chauffeur. <laughs> I was caught so off guard. It really did take me a few minutes to be like, wait, what, what's what's going on here? And uh, to add to that, his chauffeur, very nice guy. What was his name? Lou. Lou. Lou's, Lou's my personal driver. Shout out Lou. Uh, Lou hung out the whole session, not inside the gym, but he was walking around doing his thing, whatever. And uh, yeah, then it was time to leave. You hopped in the back and off you went. <laughs> I, I probably told that story 10 times after <laughs> after you left. I was like, what in the world? This is cool. This is on another level. So anyway, that's that's kind of my intro. Um, I will also say, since I have you in front of me, Chris, I'm super proud of you and your wife for being so dedicated. Obviously, you're in the position you're in because of your drive, pun intended, Um and obviously, just overall, your your character and your motivation, right? If you want something, you give it your all, you go after it. And uh, I think you'd agree that before you left your trip to Dubai, we took measurements again, and, and you saw some good results, right? Yeah, I, you know, I in all aspects of your life, um, or even, I guess, if you measure success, there has to be some level of complete dedication. Mm-hmm. 
And you're exactly right. Like I had to, I took my finances serious. I took my business serious. I take my family serious. And this was one area that I lacked and I felt like I couldn't get respected until I took my health serious. And you're absolutely right. I gave you six weeks to give you a six, give me a six pack, which, which we failed in, but I did, uh, my previous way of losing weight was fasting and not eating and, you know, eating 200 calories, 300 calories a day, but I'm dying. Um, we're here. I can eat any time of the day and still on a, I don't want to say diet, but on a lifestyle and still lose actual, uh, body weight or body yeah. fat yeah. than just depleting myself of water and looking thin. But now I can see the body weight's moving, it's shifting, and it's going into a shape that I like rather than just I'm thin. Correct. You hit yeah. the nail on the head. And I'm proud of you as well because you've listened to what I've said so <laughs> far. And, and that obviously reassures me. So, yeah, guys, we're not going to get into that today because Chris has an incredible story to tell. But I've told him and everyone else I've ever started training, there's a huge difference between losing weight and losing fat. And anyone that trains with me, obviously, right, we put emphasis on losing fat, which is actual weight loss, not depleting your body of water and, and looking or feeling okay for you know, two days and then blowing right back up and gaining that weight back. We're actually yeah. making this a lifestyle. So anyway, go ahead, introduce <laughs> yourself. Um, that was a long enough intro on my end. So introduce yourself and then go ahead and, and start from your childhood, where you grew up exactly, because yeah. I know you're born in California. Correct. Awesome. So yeah, give us a little intro on your end and then get into your childhood and what it was like growing up. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, technically, I'm a uh, international business investor. So my company, Goliath, uh, either starts or invests in companies around the globe. Currently, we're in Europe, UAE, and we're expanding into Asia this year. And I either start uh, businesses uh, in those respective regions and uh, and grow them, or I invest in companies that have already started. Um, I would say in the beginning, my portfolio was about five to 10% crypto. And now I would say that's probably 90% of the businesses that I invest in currently. And that's very, very interesting given the fact that, you know, I think in this very moment as we're filming this podcast, everyone's starting to get hyped on crypto again because crypto's had a good month. Uh, previously, obviously it took a big downturn, but crypto is something I'm very excited to get in, uh, into a little deeper with you today. But uh, with all of that said, where were you born? Where were you raised? What was your childhood like? And then we'll move from there. Yeah, I am a first-generation Mexican-American. My mom was born and raised in Aguascalientes, Mexico, which I visited the first time in 30 years, um, two years ago, um, November of 2021. I met my whole family in Mexico, which they're phenomenal people, phenomenal, phenomenal people. Um, born and raised in a little town called Fontana, California. And, um, early on, I actually grew up in my grandma's mobile home trailer, uh, which sat, if you're familiar with California, the, uh, 10 freeway, um, run, my backyard was a 10 freeway. We had a chain link fence that was maybe 50 yards from our trailer and we could see the cars passing every, every you know, passing on the highway every single day. So, you know, grew up um, very poor. Uh, well, 
you know, very, very lower middle class or yeah. low, low class. And, um, and then my mom ended up meeting who been my stepdad for, I mean, I call him my dad cause he's been there. I think since I was six or seven, um, still grew up in Fontana. Um, we moved out of the mobile home park into a, a, um, like three bedroom house, Stone Fontana. And, you know, my mom was blessed that she found someone who absolutely loved her, but then loved us and, uh, was, you know, able, you know, in that time, different time in the early 90s or late nineties, early two thousands, you know, 50,000 a year, you could buy a, a house. You could, uh, I mean, you drive used cars, but it was still single family household income. So, right. you know, I think after taxes, my dad's never made more than 27,000, 30,000. So, in California, in California, yeah, which everyone I'm pretty <laughs> sure by now knows that's like making no joke, probably 15 grand a, a year here in Florida. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you, you literally can't live. Yeah. I mean, you'd be living in, in, in the slums yeah. of California on that income today. For sure. Um, so at that time it was, you know, it was decent, still lower middle-class I would say. Um, but my dad did everything he can to provide for us. And one of that was allowing my mom to be a stay at home mom. And be there for, you know, at, to, to raise us, basically. So, um, I mean, I give it to them. They, they tried their best. But there's a lot of fundamentals uh, that I took from them. And there's a lot of fundamentals that I didn't take from them. And I think that's why our lives are drastically different. But because of those risks, as of today, before I went and bought my sports car and, and all this kind of stuff, retired my parents, bought them a house, bought my dad a brand new $100,000 truck, and gave them a life that they could only dream of. Um, but in return, they support me. And let's go ahead and, and uh, make sure that everyone understands how young you are right now. Go ahead and tell them how old are you? I'm 31. 31. Guys, I'm 30. When I interview people like him, it really, and I know you should never compare yourself. Yeah. You really shouldn't. I yeah. think that's one of my f worst characteristics is I always compare myself. But man, you set the bar high, you know? <laughs> like I really, the feeling... I'm sure it gave you to be able to retire your parents and to do what you do now for your family has got to be one of the best feelings in the world. And I, you know, I really am striving to, to get there myself. I think that's an incredible thing. Um, but anyway, okay. So that, that's essentially your childhood. Um, and is, from there, was there anything major that happened within your teenage years or can we hop right into your first job? I'm excited mm -hmm. to talk about that. No, I think I think growing up, my dad was always strong in work ethic. And that's something that I took a lot more serious than my my brother, my older brother. Um, and, you know, we would wake up every Saturday and my older brother loved to take shortcuts or or negotiate. So, you know, we lived on a half acre wall to wall grass. Um, and so, you know, my brother would negotiate with me like I hated mowing the front yard. Even though the backyard was bigger, I just, the grass was thicker in the front and it was halfway dying in the back, so I just hated it. So my brother would be like, I'll mow the front, um, but you got to mow the back and then edge everything. And I would be like, all right, cool, because I like doing the back and uh, and edging was, was easy. So for me, you know, even though my brother took shortcuts, for me, I, I was still saw how much how hard my dad worked. And I think that in retrospect carried over into my school, schoolwork. I was a straight A student, graduated third in my class 
even though that's not really a bragging thing. No, it's, it's you that's know, like first or second. But, um, graduated third in my class. And then in my job, I think that's kind of where I blossomed um, in my first job and then working for in and out So I think growing up, there was a lot of fundamentals that I learned, but that didn't really carry over until it was actually time for me to produce. Got it. Okay, so what was your first job? So I actually got hired uh, 16. Uh, I turned 16 in September and November uh, that same year. I got hired at the movie theater at Cinemark at the Mall of Victor Valley. Nice. Okay. <laughs> See, I thought in and out was actually your first job. Yeah. So you worked at the movie theater for how long? A year. A year doing what exactly? Sweeping popcorn, cleaning theaters, dealing with the everything that comes in between people. I mean, people get serious. So at the time when movies were big, people got really serious. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. You know, throw popcorn at you, sodas, all that kind of stuff. But I was young. I loved it. Yeah. And, you know, um, at the time, I was, obviously, I'm 16. I'm single. Um, so I would request to work every Friday night because it was the mall. Nice, so nice. everyone was at the mall. And uh, all the cute girls would be there. So for me, it was fun. You know, it there was. You go. It and you're making money while yeah. you're you're socializing. Oh, I was balling. I was making eight bucks an hour. You know, two hundred fifty <laughs> bucks every two weeks. Like I, I was. And listen, <laughs> you know what? Since we're the same age, back in the day when I was around that age, you're right. The movie theater was the go-to hotspot on a Friday night. Same thing. My friends and I, we'd always be walking around the movie theater. Sometimes we'd sneak in, go watch a rated R movie, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But the movie theater was the spot. Yeah, it, it, times have changed. Yeah. But early 2000s, that area, that era sure. was like the last era of like the movie theater was the spot to I work. I can see that. So you've got a pretty popping job back then. <laughs> okay. So from you worked at the movie theater for a year and then you transitioned from there to? in and out in and out So my brother actually got me the interview and, you know, um, I, you know, he, he, he went in there and he really gave me, gave the pitch. Like my brother's working hard. He's a hard worker. He works at the movie theaters and he's, he's worked up his way. And, you know, in a year I was in, in a year and working at the movie theater, I was the highest I could go because I wasn't 18. I couldn't actually operate the, they call it heavy equipment, which was at that time, it wasn't digital. It was wrapping the film and, and, and putting it on the projector and having the projector oh, wow. uh, play the movie. So that was, at the time, considered heavy machinery. So I went as high as I could, being 16, 17. Um, so my brother told them that, and they said, yeah, we're hiring, so bring him in. What I didn't know was there was a force working against me on the inside of In-N-Out, and that's because my brother was lazy and they were like, you oh, want to hire another Delgado? Oh, like, are man. you? So the <laughs> reputation kind of. Yeah. Okay. So I was lucky enough that I had my first interview. His name is Nick Shulchaga and he loved me. He's like, you're a cool young dude. He's like, I see you fitting in. Um, he's like, I'm going to set you up with the store manager, Mike Fryho. And so I was like, all right, cool. So I had my interview with Mike and it was more just conversation. He was telling me about yourself. At the time, I was a police explorer. I was doing a year internship with San Bernardino County Sheriff. I was, uh, I just, I told him I graduated third in my high school, got all these certificates in public safety. And so right off the bat, he could tell there's an, an alternate difference between my brother and myself, right. which, you know, thank, thank the Lord, um, <laughs> because I think that job in and out was really that foundational piece to 
my success. Awesome. And what were you doing at In-N-Out? What was your, your position? Uh, well, everyone starts at the bottom. So I was cleaning toilets. I remember my first day of training. Um, I didn't, they were busy, so I didn't have a proper trainer. So the manager walks over and she says uh, these words to me. She goes, um, you know how to clean your room? I said, yes. You know how to clean the bathroom? I said, yes. She goes, you know how to wipe your ass? Yes. Get out there and go clean. Wow. All right. So I put two and two together. Table's dirty. Got to clean it. Floor's dirty. Got to sweep it. Listen, <laughs> you know what? Although that might be a little demeaning, it makes this story that much sweeter. <laughs> the fact that you, so you can also say that you flip burgers, right? You used yep. to flip burgers. Yes. You went from flipping burgers to, I can't wait to tell everyone where you're at now, but wow, wow, wow. How yeah. incredible. Yeah. That. So in a year working with In-N-Out, um, at 17, I became, I, I surpassed, my brother had been there for almost seven years. I surpassed my brother in promotions within one year, and I was offered a full-time position, which to get full-time in the store, like working actually in the store, you had to be there at least five to 10 years before you even were offered to be full-time. So in a wow. year, I was given uh, six promotions. So I was making, I was actually my brother's boss for a short period of time, or at least a higher level of him. And then, uh, and then I was full time as well. So, um, yeah, I excelled. And the, one of the last positions before you go into management is flipping burgers. That's, That's the amazing. highest you can get. And I have to add, I think, it, it, you know, we've been at this podcast for 15 minutes now. In these 15 minutes, anyone listening can tell the one trait, the one characteristic that you've had since the beginning is you give your all no matter what it is, whether it's mowing the lawn, whether it's working at a movie theater, whether it's flipping burgers, right? You put pride into your job. And that's probably the biggest thing anyone could take from this podcast, at, at least as of now, right? Is it doesn't matter if you feel your job's insignificant, just give it your all because that can only move you up the ladder no matter what it is. You have to look at this like everyone that you where you start has the same job. So everyone's doing the same. So what's going to make you pop out just a little bit more? And you're right. Showing up in just 15 minutes early to your shift, actually, you know, I would come. And, and maybe the sheriffs helped me with this, but shirt was always pressed. Pants were always pressed. Shoes were always clean. Um, belt was always polished. But when you work in an environment where appearance is everything, especially in and out, cleanliness is number one. It's in their mission purpose statement. So when you work in an environment like that and you just show just that much more, the opportunities opened up and, and, and they did for me. Yeah, well, and it, it just goes to show how far that can bring you because I feel like Chick-fil-A is a great example of a fast food chain that puts a lot of emphasis on customer service and how and who they hire, really. Because I, I would you agree that like if you go to McDonald's and you go through the drive through nine out of 10 times you're going to get someone that's miserable sounding and that's barely doing their job. What can I get you? Okay. Thank you guys. Move. Right. Chick-fil-A, they I'm sure have to say my pleasure and they yep. have to say blah, 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 blah. But everyone seems like they actually are happy to be there or at least they're good at faking it. Yeah. And that makes Chick-fil-A that much more superior in my opinion, to a lot of these places. But it overflows too and into, you know, the, I guess, the quality of your experience in the food. Yeah. So not when I go to Chick-fil-A, not once do I doubt that the the food was never mishandled. 
I don't eat at McDonald's, but sometimes at three in the morning, there's a McDonald's run. Listen, I have no shame. Me too. too. Um, But you can always question, did the staff actually properly follow food procedure or not? And you're right. it's, It's such a great comparison because the two are such polar opposites. But look, a lot of Chick-fil-A employees eventually become owners of Chick-fil-A's or are allowed to invest and have their own. Yeah. So a lot of these operators of Chick-fil-A's were employees at the time, and you can't say the same about the other. Yeah, and that's true. So, I mean, you know, obviously that's saying something. So, okay, how long did you work at In-N-Out? I worked there for eight years. Eight? Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> eight years. Okay, so... Where did you transition to after your eight years of, I was about to say Chick-fil-A, of in and out <laughs> um, I went to go work for a guy. At, uh, his name is Tom Ferry. He's uh, the number one real estate coach in the United States. And how did that come about? That in itself. So with working for in and out I worked in the store for about four to five years. And then through volunteering, giving extra time, um, I was personally involved in all the charities corporate charities and personal charities of the owner of In-N-Out. Um, I was offered a job in corporate in the uh, travel and events department, basically. And they put on all the employee incentives, all the a lot of the internal marketing, kind of all the stuff that kind of keeps the employees engaged and the managers and executives as well. So I worked in that department for about three years. And not too many people know this, but I was actually one of the best in my job um, by far Every store manager loved me. Every store manager knew my name. Every executive knew my name just because I went above and beyond in what we could do and set for them. Um, But I was actually fired (laughs) from my position. Yeah. Um, AEG, who at the time owned Staples Center, um, offered me free tickets to go see Adele. Sold out concert. Biggest client of mine. And I accepted the tickets. Didn't know it was against company policy. And new HR lady comes in. Finds out that I took these tickets, finds out that I took my wife, and uh, two months later, August of 2016, I went to the concert, October 19th, I want to say, or 13th, I was fired. What the heck? Um, and when they asked me about uh, the concert tickets, I didn't I didn't lie or try to hide it, I said, I was offered these tickets, and I went, yes. And they reassured my answer, they said, so you're admitting to taking the tickets. I said they were gifted to me. There's no company policy. So yes. And I was suspended for two days. And the minute I knew I was fired was I had a company phone and my email was locked out. And I was at home. I think it was like the first day I was suspended. My email got signed out of my company phone. And I went to my wife and I said, I'm probably getting fired tomorrow. You would think they give you a warning or something. I've been there eight years. All the execs loved me. It was a new HR and I could have fought it. Um, I'm sure I could have fought it. And there's a lot of things in the department that because we oversee a lot of incentives and gifts and all that kind of stuff that we are given. And a lot of them took advantage of this stuff. And but I think for me, there was a lot of jealousy. Um, I oversaw a department of 26 people um, and they all had degrees and I didn't. So Mm. a lot of animosity when I first came into the department because of that. But it's it's. In my experience, it's character building for me. It shows the type of person that I am. And, you know, these people that would get mad that I didn't have a degree, well, they should really be asking is, what did he have to do? What kind of work ethic does he does? What kind of opportunities did he take to get this position offered to him 
where I'm completely qualified. And I knew no, no one in corporate America. So it's not like I was, I, I knew someone and they gave me a position. Right. I was at a golf course volunteering my time. The director of the department saw me and how I would serve uh, the people on the course, how I would serve the, 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 and take care of all the managers and execs and all that stuff and said, I think this gentleman would be good in our department and gave me the opportunity and was the best three years, three and a half years in that department. My position uh, by far was the most praised just because of how much that I went above and beyond for everyone. And, uh, and so I'm sure if I fought it, but because I got fired, it led me into a world of opportunity. Yeah. Blessing that, in disguise for yeah, sure. Because I tell you that right now, if I wasn't fired, I'd still be working there. Would have been, um, 13, 14 years on the job now. Yeah. And, and I remember I asked you, right. I asked you that uh, a couple of weeks back. I said, if you weren't in the position you're in now, what do you think you'd be doing or where would you be? And uh, you said you'd still be working there. So, yeah. um, okay. Yeah. So then you, you transitioned over to Tom Ferry. Correct. Um, so, I got fired in October 2016, and then I just, the, the, the day I found out I got fired, um, I drove home, jumped on my laptop, and started searching jobs, and I saw an ad on uh, Indeed uh, for Tom Ferry, didn't know what it was, I tried to Google it, didn't really know, looked like MLM, didn't know, but I was like, I'll, I'll give it a apply, doctored up my resume, submitted it, I think a week later I get a call, um, from and missed the call from their HR lady. So I get an email saying, uh, hey, we'd love to schedule a phone interview with you. And so schedule a phone interview and then came in in person. And I didn't, there's a quote that was get, given to me when I left Tom Ferry, but interviewed and got the job that night. So I was technically only unemployed for eight days. Okay, that, that, that is really good. <laughs> and what, what job were you doing for Tom Ferry? I was in charge of setting up all his events in the United States and led his ventures into Canada. So we would put on these real estate events uh, that would bring awareness uh, to Tom Ferry, and then we'd funnel them into his coaching program. So they would sell at the event or they would sell, you know, following up the event, um, his whole sales team would call all the attendees. So we, in the first year I worked for Tom, we did, um, I think over 120 plus events and I traveled for 10 months out of the year. Was he local to you? I mean, was, was his home base? No, I lived uh, 80 miles one way. So I would drive 160 miles a day, two and a half hours of traffic, uh, one way. So five hours of traffic a day. Where to? Um, from Victorville mm -hmm. to Irvine, California. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a hike. It's like, uh, for those that are relative and knowing about, um, Orlando, it's like, basically driving to Miami every day for work. Yeah, that's far. I mean, if it was like Tampa, that's one yeah. thing, but psh, that in itself, that's commitment. So did you know a lot about Tom Ferry uh, going into that job? Knew nothing about Tom, knew nothing about his business. I just, I was, I needed a job. And I, I would say at that point, because I had just bought our first home, at that point, um, I even considered getting a job as a car salesman which on the side on no, just, oh, uh, oh, oh, instead. just instead, I, cause I didn't know what to do. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, so I didn't know, could I get another corporate job? Could I, could I not? 
I didn't really know which direction to take. I just knew I got bills coming. Yeah. And I need to get I need to get a job so in two weeks I can get paid and pay my bills. Right. Whatever it takes, essentially. Yeah. Um, and then how long did you work for Tom? So I worked for I got hired in November 2016 and I resigned in um, April of 2018. Okay. So almost two years. Almost two years. Yeah. yeah. Almost two years. Um, was there a reason for that? Yeah. So <laughs> in my in my job of uh, working for Tom, we put on events all across the United States. We put on one specific event in Miami, Florida, and that attracted a guy the name of Grant Cardone. Some of you may may know him. And um, uh, Grant came to the event, and he, not knowingly, he wanted to expand in that whole events world. At the time, he had only done two events, but they just couldn't get the systems and processes all down, kind, kind of for it to make sense for his business model. So he comes to the event. He gives a little speech. We meet, we talk, and then I was in Chicago, and I get an email from his COO um, basically uh, saying, come work for Grant. Um, well, not basically saying. It said, come work for Grant. And so I, I literally accepted the, the job in Chicago, flew wow. home, told my wife, pack all your stuff, because in two months, we're uh, moving to Miami. That <laughs> is wild. Now, did you know, just like with Tom, did you know who Grant Cardone was? No idea. What? <laughs> this guy was. Oh, I guess, well, what, what year was this again? This was uh, 2018. 2018. I mean, I think he was pretty famous back then already, but... He probably blew up even way more after that. So 2019, he, 2020, he was right? He was on the rise already because he had just yeah. done uh, 10X Growth Gone 2. And he, um, so he was already building the base. You know, he was already getting popularity and, and, and all that kind of stuff. That's something he's preached about for years. He didn't really, I feel like he didn't really start taking off and his empire that he has today and all his businesses and success wasn't until 2019, you know, 20, 2020. And the, but that was right after 10 X growth con three, 36,000 people in arena. That'll do that for you. Uh, and guys <laughs> to you listening, if you don't know who Tom Ferry or Grant Cardone is, I highly suggest yeah. you check them out. Um, because there's a lot to learn from both of them, I'd say, and they're very interesting characters. So, well, I I uh, I attribute a lot of relationships, uh, and you know, taking care of relationships and that whole side of the business to Tom, because Tom was so good at that, and he'd stop, be present with you, and just have the conversation and then move on. Uh, and then for Grant, his mindset of 10x is what really expanded my mind I mean I mean even just sitting we're sitting in my house and I never thought I'd own a 6,000 square foot home let alone have a whole cigar room in my house um that costed a hundred I used to want to make a hundred thousand dollars and I built a hundred thousand dollar cigar room in yeah my let, house. let's take a minute and talk <laughs> about the cigar room guys I can't obviously show you all of it through this camera right now and to those of you listening obviously you're not seeing anything so go watch a video but this cigar room is incredibly well done. And you said it even has vents specially built in so you can smoke cigars in here and it sucks it all Correct. up. Yeah, it has its own HVAC system that's completely separate from the house. And it Wild. has a recycling. So it 
we have a vent that shoots fresh air in. So yeah, it smells incredible in here. Yeah. It doesn't smell like cigars at all. Yeah. So that's the, uh, that's, that's the HVAC system. <laughs> well done. Well done. Hey, but I mean, it's well deserved too, right? So you work hard, you play hard. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what were you doing for Grant Cardone? So I was in charge of Grant's, uh, I was his director of marketing and events. And so at the time, Grant had a team of about 40 marketers and they were really trying to put together their events, you know, kind of the structure and everything. So I came in and really brought in a lot of the event side. And, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, claim to have built his empire and, and all that kind of stuff. Let me tell you, when I joined, they just did two events. There was 40 marketers working for him. So not it, did, it wasn't just one person right. that came in. Now, a lot of the event structure did come from me and putting on events and making them into what they are today with presentation, his boots, all like just the finite details that we've done that kind of bring it all together and the AV um, companies, all that stuff. Um, but his he had an infrastructure there. And so I was just basically in charge of building the event side of the business and then making it all make money, which... Some would say it did. Some would say it didn't. <laughs> I mean, it, by the looks of the guy, it made him. It, yeah, <laughs> by by the looks of it, it made him. In in any aspect that you look at it, you know, he may have taken a loss on Tannings Grocon Three. I don't know what the right. final numbers were, but raised millions of dollars into his uh, real estate funds, grew his companies, so he's doing way better. Uh, now than he was in 2018. So I would say it worked. Yeah. And then how long did you work for him? Worked for Grant for 10 months. 10 months. Okay. Yeah. So rather short period of time. Yeah. Uh, and what led you to leave him or that job, should I say? Yeah. Super hard uh, leaving Grant, um, but $1.7 million will get you to leave. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean by $1.7 million? I was paid $1.7 million to leave Grant Cardone. Wow. Okay. Well, let's dive a little <laughs> deeper into that because that already sounds exciting. Is this the start of crypto? This is the start of Goliath. Goliath. Okay. Yeah. Which Goliath deals with solely crypto? At, no. Remember at, in the beginning, I said at, in the beginning it was five ten percent crypto. Oh, that's right. You did. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. and then now. So I uh, went to an event, networking event again, reinvesting in yourself, and I went to an event. And was just meeting a bunch of people. And at the time, we were leading up to 10X GrowCon 3. We just sold 36,000 seats, uh, my team and myself. And we, we filled Miami Marlins Stadium with all these people. What took Tony Robbins 30 years to do, we did in six months. So, But again, Tony Robbins, I don't think, has 40 marketers. Or at the time now, 60 marketers pushing towards one goal. And he didn't have you either. So. And he didn't have me. Let's yeah, be real. Let's yeah, be yeah, real. yeah, yeah. Let's go with that one. <laughs> And so um, I went to this event, obviously 10X growth cons all over the place. And they're like, who's this guy? Well, at the time I was his director of marketing events. So I was introduced to all these people and I had seven companies offer me $250,000 cash to walk away. And to do what? To go consult for them. Okay. So grow their businesses, grow their operations, structure them, and build out their marketing systems. And at the time you were 26, 27? That was uh, the end of 2018. So um, four years ago, yeah, 27. 
Yeah. Right. Is it 27, 26? That's, we're in 23, so. Y- yeah, I'm 31. So. Something like, yeah, 26, 27. Yeah, 26, 27. Wild. Yeah. So January 1, 2019, I became a millionaire. Wild. <laughs> At the age of. 26, yeah. Dude. Congrats. <laughs> that really is exciting. Yeah, it was. Uh, that is exciting. From flip. I have to. Let's back up again, man. From flipping burgers to a millionaire. All through hard work. Nothing was handed to you. Zero. Zero. That's incredible. I mean, even even through my success in corporate America, and, and I still had a really good paying job, um, not once did, um, I mean, my dad was driving a bus in, in California, and my mom was working for the sheriff's department. So uh, even to this day, they've never given me a penny to to my wealth it's it's all just been through i would say even more than hard work is sacrifice no one wants to give anything up no one everyone wants to become a millionaire or or to have financial freedom or success but no one's willing to give away you know how many people i have three kids you know how people use their kids as an excuse oh i can't miss the soccer game or i can't miss that for sure listen i missed a good amount of two, three, four, five years of them being that, that age. But now that they're 11, 12 and six, I'm at every majority of every practice, every game, uh, school function. Um, I dictate my mornings. I, I literally this morning took them to school. So yeah, I may have missed a, a finite amount of time them growing up, but in my experience, the years that matter are the ones now. And now I can bring them a network worth millions of dollars, friends and my, and my friends who are millionaires have kids. So what I'm building is going to flow into them. And I would give that up 10 times more knowing that if I should die today, they have this empire that they get to take on and they don't, they don't have to worry about it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you set them up for success and that's, I, I agree. Well worth the sacrifice. I'm glad you also touched on having kids because I think it's also important in the story to add that you met your wife, Andy, at In-N-Out, correct? <laughs> she was my boss. She was, yeah. <laughs> Incredible. She, I bet she's happy she, yeah. uh, she ended I mean, up dating and marrying she, her employee. She made a lot of women jealous, I'll tell you that. There's a I lot bet. of women. <laughs> I bet. That's incredible. So she was your boss, became your wife. You guys got married at what age? How old were you? I was 19. When you got married? Yeah. Wow, I forgot about that. <laughs> she's, but she's six years older than me, so. Yeah, but I mean, still, in, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, young. Wow. So, I mean, that also is very important to add to the story, given the fact that not only did you get married, so you got in a serious relationship early on during the time of you building everything up, but how old were you when you had your first kid? 19. Oh, also 19. Also 19, yeah. So you managed, see, and that's the thing is like, I don't have kids, but I almost feel like I give other people a hall pass to not reach certain success because they have kids early, but you break that and you, you prove that just because you have kids early on does not mean life's over. You have to take a nine to five and you can't reach your dreams or goals. No, it it goes back to sacrifice. There's, there's so, there's so many people that want all this in their career or in life or whatever it might be. And yet they feel like they they can't miss something of their child's or they can't right here's here's the the deal you don't need to be at every doctor's appointment you don't need to be 
at every this, that, and whatever that happens during kindergarten. And because your kid doesn't remember it, regardless of how you feel. So if it furthers your career or furthers your position in life to maybe miss it and go look at an opportunity, do that 10 times out of 10, because that in the long run will pay off more and your child will appreciate that more. And then what example are you setting for them? For you sure. You took a risk. You took time away, you sacrificed a little, and then it paid off 10 times fold. My kids don't remember me missing their second grade or their two-year-old performance or their preschool graduation. And as much as I wanted to be there, I knew this was more important. Now they are growing up in a beautiful home and they have financial stability. They have both parents that can be there at all their functions. And, you know, and it's just that is worth more than oh, I, I have to, I can't do that because I got to go to this three-year-old recital or whatever. Like, Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head 100%. That's the thing is people just, they have kids and they think, oh my gosh, I have to make stable income and drop everything else to spend whatever waking moment I have left besides my nine to five with them. And you're right. You could have a lot more free time at the end of the day if you just make those sacrifices. Um, I love that. So, all right, let's move forward. You left Grand Cardone for Goliath. Correct. And Goliath, you started up. Correct. It's my company it's still to this day. Okay. And so let's get into Goliath a little bit and then the start of that venture. Yeah. So I was asked to uh, leave Grant and start, and uh, in that I needed to start some sort of corporation because I just wasn't going to take in all this money uh, on a personal level. So I started Goliath. Um, It had a different name at the time, um, but it was a marketing and consulting firm, which it still is today. We're a international consulting firm. And what I did was I helped small businesses uh, get their operations right, uh, structure their marketing, get their marketing right. And then as their, you know, revenues grew, their operations obviously needed to go. So marketing operations, in my mind, go really hand in hand. And I helped, you know, at the time it was seven, seven companies, but I would say over the existence of Goliath. So it's been, we're in 23, um, four years now, I think. Yeah. Four years. Um, in, in the four years, it's, it's probably been well over a hundred plus companies that I've helped. Wow. And when you say you've helped a hundred plus companies, are you talking solely you or, do you have employees that work for you with Goliath? How does all that work? Yeah, so um, in the beginning, it was solely me. It was, and that was the hard thing to scale, um, where I was flying here, I was flying there, I was meeting with this, I was taking that. And so I soon realized I needed to build a team. So in the beginning of me building a team, it was just a lot of strategic partnerships with agencies, which are great because I could go to an agency that I trust and knew, and usually it was a friend's agency that did good work and would say, Hey, I'm going to bring you a client to run their Facebook ads. So, but I want 10% of whatever they're going to pay you. So you, you would gain residual income from the deals you would bring other businesses. And so that's how I was quickly able to build my wealth was I had a lot of marketing dollars and we were hiring agencies, we were hiring individuals, and agency side, uh, for us to scale, we would take a percentage of the profit that they would make. Um, but then I needed uh, employees and, and assistance and all that kind of stuff. So Goliath kind of grew into this 
management company, uh, what it is today. That is awesome. Is there any big companies you guys have worked with or currently work with that I would recognize or know? A lot in the e-commerce space. Okay. So if you're big in the e-commerce space, uh, a company that I was partnered in uh, was Fit Tea. It's a detox tea company. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> promoting Fit Tea. Yeah. yeah. Are they still around? Yeah, this They're sold. They're sold. Wow. Mike Gonzalez is a good friend of mine, a uh, very good friend of mine, uh, sold his company to a private investor. So do you know how, can you say how much? I can't say how much publicly, but off camera, I can tell you how much. Okay. I bet it's a crazy <laughs> amount. And we also started a joint venture together as a, it was a CBD company called happy tea, Mike and I, and we actually took that company public and we got acquired three months later after IPOing. No way. Which is insane to say that, um, we took a company public. Yeah. Just you and him. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. Okay. So. Are you flying in, uh, to Dubai often at that time already as you started Goliath and you're doing all of that? Or, or does Dubai come into the picture more so when you start moving heavily into crypto? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we did some international deals a lot in Germany, um, but a lot of it was domestic U.S. And again, a lot of your conventional, um, you know, you go into business, you break down their systems, processes, operations, and then you help them grow and scale where you can tweak and think that they're kind of bottlenecking at. It wasn't until um, we started making a lot of passive income where I started to dabble into crypto and I had bought crypto, some crypto at the time, you know, some Bitcoin, some Ethereum, some Doge, some Shiba, you know, and just holding it, hoping it hundred X or whatever. Um, but never really got into the fundamentals of crypto. And I think kind of in the beginning, how you said, you know, we saw the fall of FTX which hurt crypto. We saw um, a lot uh, Luna, which was Korean based that UST depegged, which which dropped basically dropped Bitcoin from 30, 40,000 down to 14, 15,000 um, and really tanked the market. But if you understand the fundamentals of blockchain, understand the fundamentals of crypto, you see that now we're in a stabilization. Now we're pre FTX fall. And if Bitcoin hits over 25,000, then we'll be pre uh, Luna fall. So do the fundamentals of crypto work? 100%. I'm a massive believer in that. And, and that's the future. And you know what? Um, I forget which client of mine told me, because I have a lot of clients that are really heavily invested in crypto, but anyone that's into crypto, I try to pick their brain and you know see if I can learn something new from them. And, and one really good point that one of my clients made about crypto is I said, but you know, a lot of people say crypto has way too much controversy behind it and it's just so unstable in many ways. And they said, yeah, but uh, go ahead and try to tell me that the stock market doesn't have a bunch of controversy throughout the years and that they haven't been unstable. And if you look back, there's been a lot of scams in stocks. There's been a lot of controversy. I mean, hence why half these movies like Wall Street and whatnot exist, right? So while people think that the stock market in this day and age is your safe bet and it's way better than crypto, I feel like crypto is just new age stocks and eventually it's going to pay off way more than stocks. You know, I don't know a lot about this stuff. So I might, I might, you know, not really know what I'm talking about, but at the end of the day, I think crypto is just in the beginning stages of everything. And in the long run, all the little guys like Shiba and whatever else is going to fall off and disappear. And the big guys, they're going to stay in the game long-term and they're going to establish themselves as 
real, you know, uh, value. No, I, and you're exactly right. The stock market's fallen 30, 40% overnight sometimes. You know, we've yeah. had, you know, even we've had recent crashes, um, 20% or you losing whatever. I, I mean, when, uh, during the pandemic, I think, um, uh, it dropped from high 27, 20,000 down to 19,000. People with 401ks are wiped mm-hmm. completely. And the 2008, 2009, uh, crisis, um, people's 401ks were wiped. And so every market has volatility. Correct. And do I agree that some people have time to make up for that volatility? Yeah, 100%. If you're in your 70s and you're retired and I'm not don't pull, don't pull your 401k out and invest because if there is again another depegging or a fall, it might take 5 years to gain gain that back and you might not have that time to get 50% of your portfolio wiped, but it is new technology, new age stocks. Um, it is a lot of social driven, but again, if we look at the fundamentals of Bitcoin and what it brings to the market, you're going to see that it has a lot more value and has gained and proven itself time and time again, that it is way better, uh, a way better hedge against inflation, a way better hedge of growing wealth and it for me the technology there it's far superior than what we've ever seen and if you believe in that technology has to grow with the times or has uh, you know there has to be some sort of evolution of technology you just look at ai you look at spacex you look at all these big companies that are taking original ideas and just making them you know more i guess more technologically advanced cryptocurrency and blockchain technology restructures the whole financial system and brings new tech, new faster technology into the space. Absolutely. So why wouldn't it play a part in our economy? Yep. And when you say crypto, right? Cause crypto could mean a thousand different things, which, and this is for the viewers, right? If someone has a thousand dollars right now, I'm just going to throw a thousand dollars out there, right? If, if someone has a thousand dollars to invest right now, what do you suggest they invest in Bitcoin, Ethereum? Uh, what? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're blue chip, uh, well, you would say your blue chip stock, your blue chip crypto is going to be the same thing. Bitcoin and Ethereum. I'm actually, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. So uh, in a sense, if you're new to crypto, I hold more Ethereum than I do Bitcoin. Um, I hold very little Bitcoin. And that's just because there's more utility behind Ethereum. There's more ways to make money behind Ethereum. Bitcoin's a good store of wealth. If you have 20, 30, $40,000 that you just want to, have it maybe pump a little bit and grow a little bit. It will kind of go down as the market dictates, but it will go go up. Bitcoin's a good store of wealth. If you're trying to be liquid and earn passive income, Ethereum's your best bet. Yep, I've heard many people say that, and uh, I think I would agree as well. If you have, you know, $1,000, I don't know if Bitcoin's going to get you that super exciting adrenaline rush of a, a gain ethereum i think still definitely has the potential to turn that thousand to ten thousand hundred percent right? i yeah i have a buddy who um he invested a hundred thousand into ethereum uh, not financial advice <laughs> <laughs> um and uh in six months uh it is now close to three hundred thousand yeah, that's incredible. He's in the financial wealth space, and he said this is supposed to happen over 20 years, not six months, right. and just was absolutely blown away. So you're right. I, 
I'm an Ethereum, I guess, maximalist. I think it, I believe in the technology. It would run a lot of the system right now. There's other um, Solana and all these other ones that, you know, have networks and whatnot. But Ethereum by far is the biggest. And I think there's a lot of new tech that will grow the Ethereum network and it will just make it that much more lucrative. Yep. And I mean, to put in perspective for you guys, most conservative investors are happy with a three to five percent gain a year, roughly, right? On, on their on their investment. This is a three hundred percent gain in six months. Like that's just absurd. And even if it weren't that, even if it were thirty percent, right? I mean, yeah. that's still incredible. That we, you're not going to find that anywhere else. So, oh, thirty percent. You tell you tell a traditional investor thirty percent a year. They're going to say, "What what Ponzi are you running?" Exactly. You know. So what we've been able to do, and I think where I became a true believer was I invested into a company in Dubai, and it hundred x. I put in a uh, twenty thousand dollars, and when it launched, I made two million dollars. And I said, "There's no way." Nuts. When people talk about the greatest transfer of wealth that's happening, it's because all this new technology, all these new opportunities are rising and there's so much skepticism in the market. But you got to ask yourself, why, why is everyone telling you not to buy it? But yet JP Morgan's buying Bitcoin. Bank of America's buying Bitcoin. JP Morgan actually just filed uh, for trademarks and patents on their own network. And so you look at all this stuff and you're like, wait, they're the ones saying, don't buy, don't buy. It's too volatile. We're not offering it to our investors. But yet they're investing in yep. the very thing that they're saying not to buy. It's it's just the manipulation of the higher up. I think really that's that's the same reason why people aren't taught how to get a good credit score going because people are making billions off of people with bad credit scores. Right. It's, it's oh, just, debt. Debt is the biggest uh, moneymaker. Yeah. Uh, in the United States. And that's why, I mean, the more they prevent people from doing what they're doing, the more power they're going to maintain, I think. And then eventually they'll probably tell people to buy in once they've bought in as much as they wanted as low as possible. Well, well that's the, that's the rise of, um, that's the rise of the centralized, uh, I don't want to say exchanges, but Bank of America is coming out with the centralized digital holdings, um, JP Morgan's coming out with decentralized digital holdings and that's basically to bring more stability to the market. But again, mm -hmm. who controls it? Who's, con who's controlling the market where the, the ideology and the belief behind crypto and blockchain and Bitcoin is decentralized is having the power of finances back into you rather into other people. Right. Yeah. Now this was, this was a good, <laughs> good segment on the finance side of things in crypto. I love that. So, all right, you have Goliath up and running now. You're taking a lot of trips to Dubai. Um, what is present day looking like for you? What is your goal with Goliath? Where are you trying to move within the next few years pushing forward? Yeah, we're in we're in hyper growth mode right now. Like I'm really happy uh, with the work of the Goliath team. Uh, we've expanded. Um, we have employees all around the globe. Um, here in the States and, you know, our biggest thing is bringing this tech to, uh, re I don't want to say, yeah, retail investors, I guess you smaller investor clientele, basically what we've been doing. Goliath will bring an opportunity to people that they've never seen in their life. And we're growing those opportunities and securing them. So a lot of, a lot of people for who's not in the crypto market or crypto world, uh, a lot of these influencers and people you see make a lot of their money passively through liquidity pools and different company investments. So 
we want to bring that stuff more mainstream. We're securing, um, you know, we're backing our crypto investments by gold three to one. So oh, cool. Every, you know, let's say you put in a hundred thousand, we're going to go buy $300,000 worth of gold just so people have that security. And gold is also another good investment that, you know, that I think will go up, you know, in 20 years, gold is not going to be $1,500 an ounce. It's going to be, you know, 10, 15 grand an ounce. So the value will always, the stored value will always be there, which is why we're backing it. And then, you know, we're growing, we're, we have an international operation. We're expanding into mining and we'll have an operation in mining here shortly here in the States and in the UAE mining, uh, uh Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, mining, you can't mine Ethereum anymore, but, oh, um, right, right. mining Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies you can mine and sell, um, that very same day. Interesting. You know, I, I like that you said that you also do buy gold because I feel like the crowd that invests heavily into gold is usually the crowd that's very anti-crypto because they think that gold is the end-all be-all, right? Yeah. And then Ethereum, or excuse me, a crypto is not it, essentially, right? But the fact that you have both in your hedging, I love that. I think that's very... It was it was actually an idea when I was just in Dubai um, a week ago, and um, one of my business partners proposed taking a portion of investments that we make and and buying gold with it to just have an extra layer of security. If anything should happen, market should tank 40, 50%. People need to liquidate. We have a tangible asset that you could literally go anywhere in the world. You can go yep. to the States, you can go over Europe, you can go to Asia, and you can melt gold and get a global price for it. So for us, it's a smart in a long-term wealth holding, and it's smart if we want to bring on investors and 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 people that want to help us grow, it's a good way to secure their capital. I like that. I like that. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm excited to see uh, what Goliath does in these next coming years. It's going to be exciting. And I hope I can maybe go on a trip with you to Dubai. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to experience all that. We have a good time. I know you do Dubai a little different, you know, after hearing about how much you spent on that plane <laughs> ticket, man. Sheesh. Costing my car just to fly there and back. Um one other thing I definitely want to get into as we're, we're wrapping this up is giving back in the charities, because obviously, you know, I built driven Two on the foundation of driven to make a difference. And I want to start integrating that as much as possible into this as it grows. And I was super excited and pleased to hear that uh, around Christmas time, you do something that you've been doing for a while. Uh, and uh, I want you to go into that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, my charity Orlando Giving was actually a big part of my childhood. And we started Orlando Giving because when I was a kid, I remember my dad was a truck driver. And I remember going to the truck yard and they would have trailers filled of Christmas trees. And at the time, his, his company would do a big barbecue, invite the community out, feed them. And then all these truckers would load these Christmas trees on this car, on these cars. And I just remember being around so many different kids and families. And, you know, you have finite memories that young and you're happy, but you don't know why you're happy. And now I look back, I mean, we were giving, we were, you know, I, I can look and see these people I don't know and they're smiling, they're in tears. And it's just the fact that they could have uh, a Christmas tree, you know, a $200 expense when you're living in poverty is a massive a expense. Lot, yeah. And, and not to sidetrack real quick, but I was laughing the other day cause I took my suburban to go get, um, service 
and they needed to change the fuel filter. Well, I remember my Ford Explorer that I had, I needed to change the fuel filter and it was 160 bucks. And I had to wait a month because I had a, I didn't have enough money to cover the $160. I didn't have a credit card at the time. So I had to put $80 away on this check, which was big chunk of change for me. And then when the next check came out, I put another $80. And I remember calling the mechanic specifically and saying, is it 160 uh, exactly or is there tax? And I remember him saying, no, there's tax. And I'm like, well, I have 160 and that's it. And he's like, that's fine. You can come get your car. Wow. So, you know, the fuel filter on the Suburban is $300. Um, but, you know, just these these small memories of, you know, these massive purchases and a Christmas tree at the time for these families is a big purchase. So what I created with Orlando Giving is an immersive experience uh, that my family's intimately involved in. And we find 12 to 14 families. We do 12 days of giving and every year, every year. And so every day we visit one family, one family day, and we give them $1,000 in cash and Goliath takes on the tax liability so we don't 1099 these people and we don't, you know, we don't, we can't write it against cause it's cash. We can't really write it against our taxes. Um, so it's, we give them $1,000 in cash and then a gift basket. And then on Christmas Eve, um, we give one family $10,000 in cash. Um, and that can range the family we just visited. Her son passed away in the summer. Her husband passed away two weeks before Christmas. And so you just, these times that are supposed to be super happy and joyful and, and, you know, have so many good memories, these families just get devastated. And I remember walking into the house and this, her son just crying his eyes out. It's just, it's one of the things where I find pure joy in and, you know, and we're impacting the community that we live in, which I think is the success is great. The fun cars are great. Um, but they don't bring that level of joy um, that I get when we help people in our community, specifically people in the community that we live in. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I mean, all the, the luxuries is a byproduct, but I think that's ultimately the goal. Um, and you find these families through schools, correct? Or how do you find the families? Yeah, so we partner with the Title I schools, which means the Title I schools are the uh, the poorest, poorest schools in the, in the neighborhood. Um, so we, we partner with the title one schools and we have every school choose two families and, uh, and then we personally visit those families either at their homes or at the, at the schools and they're all walks of life, man. I've met plenty of grandmothers taking care of their grandkids. Uh, one family that's, that doesn't live too far from us. Their house was destroyed by the hurricane that came through Orlando. And when they came back, their house got, uh, looted all their daughter's clothes and toys and everything was completely taken away. And then when they thought that was enough, their house got damned so they couldn't live in it anymore. So the house has to be completely demolished and rebuilt. What does damned mean? Uh, You can't live in it anymore. So the the city calls it being your house is damned basically. Oh dude, it just, the, it's not the structure of the house is not livable. And so they had to get their house demolished. So this man who had a house, one month <laughs> doesn't have a house anymore. Yeah. And so just you just meet these people from all walks of life and we can give them one little bit of, you know, joy or some light at the end of the tunnel. That's that's it's worth all the hard work, it's worth all the stress, it's worth everything that comes along. I love that so much. Yeah. I mean 
hey, honestly, nothing but respect for you. And, and uh, like I said, I can't wait to see what the next few years hold for you. I know you're going to keep killing it. If you started from flipping burgers and you got this far <laughs> by the time you're 30, I can only imagine what it looks like by the time you're 40. So um, should we wrap this up and go take the car out for a spin? Yeah, let's go take it for a spin and grab some tacos. Yeah, man, I'm ready. I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm, I'm good for that. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, Seriously, you, I appreciate you. And uh, we'll have to have you on again in a year or so from now and see uh, how far you've come. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that. If you are listening, please leave a review if you haven't already. And if you're watching, guys, honestly, I know this sounds tacky because everyone says it, but the liking and the sharing and the commenting really does make all the difference in the algorithm on YouTube. So, guys, give Chris Delgado a follow on Instagram. It's uh, Lord Delgado. Lord Delgado. Lord Delgado, do you want to plug anything else? No. That's it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you have any questions, my DMs are always open. I love that. So there you go. He's open to questions. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you in the next one. Take it easy.